Welcome to Season 2 of Marla by the Numbers, the podcast from the International Association of Fairs and Expositions with your host, Marla Calico, President and CEO of the IAFE. Podcast number 10 is sponsored by ETIX. Today's guest will be Christina Franck of the Canadian Association of Fairs and Exhibitions, Chris Riddle with the Royal Cornwall Show, and Rob Wilson with the Agricultural Shows Australia, who will put an international perspective on agricultural fairs and shows in 2021. Let's listen in. Welcome, everyone. We have a tremendous panel of guests today. In fact, I'm very excited. We've never had anything like this. Uh, I think even in the history of the IAFE and our respective organizations, truly an international group of folks who at their core have a passion with agricultural fairs and shows worldwide. Uh, today, my special guests come from Australia, Canada, Canada, and the United Kingdom. So I'm going to let each one, I'm going to kind of introduce and then let each one tell you a little bit about themselves. So we're going to start today with Rob Wilson from Australia. Rob? Good morning, everyone. Uh, Rob Wilson. Yes, I'm, uh, I live in Perth, Western Australia and have a, a long um, association with, the, with agriculture shows, but particularly the Royal Agriculture Society of Western Australia. And uh, I have had a, a term as president and vice president, and now I am the past president. But I'm the inaugural chairman of Agricultural Shows of Australia. And this is the overarching body that uh, represents all shows, all the 580 shows in Australia, which includes our capital city royals and our um, regional country shows. And ASA has only been formed now for about four years, and it's taken some time for everyone to realise the importance of having a, uh, a, a, an overarching body. We did have uh, groups that just represented the um, capital city royals and a group that mainly was involved with competitions with our country shows, but it was time to um, bring them all together, which we did four year, years ago. We now have a board that represents both the, uh, the, the capital city royals the country shows, and we have uh, two directors that represent our next-gen groups right around Australia. So it's working extremely well, not well-resourced, of course, being a, a member group, but we're um, finally getting some recognition around the country, really promoting ag shows, promoting um, ag shows of Australia, and uh, and the value, of course, that, that ag shows have right around the, right around the country. Um, I was elected the... Uh, the uh, first uh, the chair because I was uh, at the time um, president of uh, RASWA and I was president of the, the group that uh, represented just the capital cities and, and I've got a lot of experience in agriculture and, uh, and in, um, in the corporate world and a chairman of a number of companies. So uh, I guess they felt my experience uh, would be valuable in getting this off the ground. And indeed it has, Robin. We're so glad that you're in that role and that we at the IFE has had an opportunity to work with the ASA. Uh, next, we'll go to Canada, to Ms. Christina Franck. Christina, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. Um, I'm with the Canadian Association of Fairs and Exhibitions. We were established in 1924, and uh, we represent about 743 ag societies across Canada of varying sizes. Uh, and they run about 17,000 events and different programs throughout the year. So there's a real diversity that way. So our main mission is to provide member services and help our members reach their full potential so that they can do the best they can uh, also work 
work on some government relations and communicating to our broader network and getting the message out, brand awareness and all that good fun stuff. And you did actually come from working with a fair, I believe. Was that in Quebec that you worked worked with a fair? I did. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I studied journalism in university. And uh, so that degree hasn't been put to very good use. But uh, when I when I graduated, I got the opportunity to work with a communications firm in Ormstown, Quebec, just outside of Montreal. Uh, we did a lot of work with various nonprofits and member associations for about, I was there almost 10 years. And then uh, through that, we picked up a contract where I was, uh, I started working with Expo Ormstown was the name of the fair, and I eventually became their manager. And so uh, fell in love with the fair industry. It's, uh, we all know it's something in your blood, you can't even explain it, but it's there. And uh, there's been no turning back ever since this opportunity came up. And uh, I was lucky enough to be um, chosen for the role. And it's been almost five years in this role now. Excellent. Very good. Thanks, Christina. And last but certainly not least, Mr. Christopher Riddle. Chris? Hi, good evening, Marla. Good to be here. Um, I'm here representing the ASAO, which is the Association of Shows and Agricultural Organizations here in the UK, basically the UK equivalent of IAFI in America and, and beyond. Um, but my day job, I'm secretary, but in, in essence, chief executive of the Royal Cornwall Agricultural Association, um, way down in the far west of the UK, down in Cornwall. Um, we're one of the oldest agricultural societies in the country. We were founded in 1793. Um, I'm very proud to say I'm only the ninth secretary since that time. So they've been long, long standard. Um, I very much grew up with the show. Um, my father was secretary before me. He was the first full-time appointee. Prior to that, they were all part-timers and volunteers. He took over in 1957. Um, I grew up over the shop learning the trade and working with him for laterally uh, took over assistant secretary then became secretary in 1989 and i've been in the role ever since so uh, it's been a, a long family involvement i live on the showground we've got a permanent site at wade bridge an uh, event center we live on the site um so it's very much in my blood very um, much I, so <laughs> that's right and, and ASAO, you know, we were very similar to IAFI, rather smaller, as you can imagine, um, but representing the interests and uh, trying to help all the big and small agricultural societies across the UK. And about how many members are involved in ASAO? Um, it's something over, it's around 200 shows. Um, some of the events have more than that in show numbers, um, mm -hmm. but something from the tiniest village events through to the big multi-day regional and national shows so we're pretty broad spread but uh, as with everybody it's been an interesting time indeed it has and although we have a with with IAFI we have a little bit a tiny bit of overlap with membership where we would have a members in each country that are also members of our organization if I've done the math there in my head real quick between all of us we are representing something north of 2,000 uh, agriculture shows all across the globe so I think that's something that we should when we say Marlo by the numbers for this podcast that's an amazing amazing number so very very uh, uh, thrilled with that. Actually, if I do the math again, it's probably closer to about 2,800. So that's pretty phenomenal. And we know that there are so many similarities, uh, but also very unique differences between them. 
But the one thing that is similar as we all are recording this here in the middle of March 2020 is that the impact of COVID upon our industry globally has been absolutely devastating. Uh, In the United States alone, uh, 98% of all of the fairs and events were canceled. And we know from a tiny brief study that we did that fairs here in the U.S. alone uh, generate about $4.67 billion in activity. That's not economic impact. That's just the revenue. So um, I know in Australia, uh, especially with the, the time of summer being in January, there were a handful of fairs that got off. But, but Rob, what was the situation in Australia? Yeah, very devastating, um, same as everywhere else. Uh, lockdown happened uh, towards the end of March, and uh, there were obviously uh, a number of shows that were, um, were nearly ready to go and, and had to cancel. So there were probably 40 to 50 shows that uh, went ahead in the January, February around the country. On top of the COVID, we had uh, in New South Wales, and particularly, we had some uh, devastating effects of uh, bushfires and, and a lingering drought. And there are a number of um, shows that couldn't go ahead because of those two reasons. Um, albeit the COVID, um, often their showgrounds were used for um, you know for uh, fire relief and things like that. So the uh, the majority of the shows were cancelled. Um, we think that the of the 500, of, for the 580 shows, that probably brings in about a billion dollars worth of uh, value around to the Australian economy. So we lost a lot of that. Um, Six million people, a quarter of the population will attend an agricultural show every year in Australia. And of course, we have a huge number of volunteers. But we got to work very, very quickly and uh, lobbied government. And I put forward a fairly innovative uh, support program that was based around shows fixed costs. So we, we, we collected um, from a big sample of uh, both the large capital city royals and the, the shows, the fixed costs, those that they, they um, had to pay regardless uh, whether their show went ahead or not. Got that through government and um, finally took a lot of lobbying and work, but we got a support package of $36 million and we broke that up into uh, small shows, medium shows and large shows. Uh, and there was a, a, a fixed amount, 10,000 for small shows, 15,000 for large shows, and up, uh, 15,000 for medium shows, and up to 70,000 uh, 70, for the large shows and the capital city royals, whatever their fixed costs were in that period, uh, they were recompensed. So that is out and running. Um, finally, uh, 378 shows have been paid up. There's now 100 getting some supplementary funding, and there'll be a second round of about another 80 shows. Um, to come shortly once the minister makes the announcement. So uh, actually a really good program because they could cover their insurances, their utility costs and um, and a lot of those activities. We didn't bring in labour because there was other government support packages for, um, you know, job seeker and job keeper that we call them in Australia. But um, it just helped uh, some, some, particularly the smaller societies, maintain their uh, existence during the year and it's put them into a, a reasonable position to be able to run a show this year. So that was uh, kind of Wonderful. And certainly we were watching that and applauding from afar that you were able to engineer that type of a support package. And I think the rest of us are pretty envious of all of that because, Christina, I know you have been working hard as well. And again, uh, we closely follow and share a lot of members. So we know the devastation across the country was was extreme there as well. Not a single fair happened, I'm guessing. 
Nope, you're exactly right. We didn't have anything. We saw like, I'm sure others did some adapted events and adapted programming or virtual events. But as it stands, uh, the, the fair or exhibition as we knew it, none of those happened, unfortunately. So uh, it was a year of adaptation and we took on that role at CAFE of government relations and government advocacy as well. Uh, we're very fortunate there have been some really great programs in Canada uh, that have come through from the federal government. But a recent survey that we did actually shows that a, almost a third of our industry has not been eligible for that funding uh, through the government. Um, and it's not a matter of they're not good programs, but so for example, we have the emergency wage subsidy, which subsidized uh, anywhere from 75 to 85% of salaries. And um, as our fair models are, that helps with the the, the staff you have year round, but uh, what's really gonna hurt is when we can have events again and our staff size triples, quadruples, go, multiplies by 10, that's when we need to see the wage subsidy. Um, and I think too, in uh, with us, we're well and it's common across uh, across the globe in many ways so being a seasonal business um, with our organizations all being nonprofits, and with us being primarily volunteer based those have been three really big challenges that we've been communicating to the federal government um, and to partners and stakeholders saying we have some very unique needs uh, and we need to continue to have this conversation we put in a, a request for fixed cost support as well um, in June and kind of using Australia as a precedent, but it didn't quite work out. It hasn't worked out yet. We're still having those conversations, uh, but you're right. I'm sitting here enviously from my side of the world wishing that we see some a similar program for us to, to help with those, like you say, the fixed costs, the, the insurance and electrical and those sorts of things. And I know at, at various times seeing your communications, you had some pretty impressive infographics talking about the impact of the entire uh, show and exhibition uh, across the country of Canada. Was that economic activity, economic, economic impact? What, what were the figures that you were using? Yeah, so we were looking at economic impact primarily. We saw uh, our estimate from our little survey too was that we generate about $2.9 million annually in economic impact across Canada. We know that we see about 35 million visitors. And when you think, uh, I should have looked this part up before, but our population is pretty close to that. So not necessarily that we hit each individual Canadian, but they're coming to multiple events, right? So we have great outreach that way. Um, and one of the really uh, resonating statistics for me was that for every dollar one of our organizations receives at the Ag Society, $4.54 goes into the local community and the surrounding community. And that's even higher in, um, in rural communities. So when you're looking at the urban centers, that's where it kind of goes, it's around that $4 mark, but in the rural areas, it goes up to six or $7. So uh, that was really, um, like I said, that really resonated with me and has resonated with the people we've been speaking with. Right. So $2.9 billion across the entire country. Yeah. Yeah. yeah fabulous. Okay, Chris, what about in the UK? Uh, uh, what, what was the status there? I'm pretty sure also with timing, you had no shows go forward whatsoever. No, we were pretty well. Everybody was out um, because of March. Our, our show season tends to run from May through to October for some, a few. So really everybody was knocked out. Um, you know, like everybody else, you lost a part of the season and then you realised that the rest of the season was going to go, which is pretty sad. Mm -hmm. um, the impact, I mean, we, we did some survey work um, towards the end of the year. We've been having quite a battle. Whilst government, UK government support has been very good for business, I, I, I think it's fair to say, um, the shows were slightly caught in the middle in that 
Um, no government department was claiming ownership of us, which was a bit of a tricky one. Um, department for Culture, Media and Sport. Um, oh, no, you're not culture. Department of Agriculture, DEFRA, as we call it. Um, no, no, that would be a cultural issue. So they sidestepped that one. So we have now got some of that overcome. And we had to do a survey to try and justify the case. And it was very interesting. I mean, something like um, there's an income generation of our, amongst our member shows of something over or up to 130 million straight for their own activity normally. Um, this year, it's something like a loss to them of 36 and a half million. Um, and the impact we reckon, the economic impact of those events is between 800 um, million and a billion. So it's, you know, these are big sums we're talking about. And, you know, the numbers of people employed, pretty high. Uh, we reckon there's something like 2,100 full-time staff in the UK um, industry. The, the biggest problem we found was that um, in the main, the biggest shows could get some help because most of the UK funding was geared to rateable values of property. So therefore, you had permanent showgrounds and permanent facilities. You were in that bracket and you did get some grant aid and so forth. Um, and if you were in the very smallest shows, they could just about mothball without too much impact. You know, it was very sad for them, but they could sit tight and do nothing. The trickiest bunch really were those in the middle ground who don't perhaps own their own site. They may operate on a greenfield site that's rented or borrowed. Um, so they weren't able to do much via the rateable value. Um, and, you know, they have still got costs ongoing and they're the ones who have found it tricky. Um, people have in the main, particularly the, the larger shows with permanent teams, um, they've made very good use of the government furlough scheme, which um, has been an 80 percent top up to pay. Um, some people have paid above that rate, but I mean, most are, are getting 80 percent. Um, which has been a huge impact. And I mean, that scheme has been expanded a couple of times, um, you know, as the whole pandemic has, has uh, moved along. And that's recently been announced. So that's been extended to the end of September in total. It won't be quite so generous in the latter stages, um, but that's been a big help. But uh, it, it's been interesting, hasn't it? It's We've all had to fight our corner. And I, I applaud Australia because, you know, that we certainly haven't had that sort of amount of support and well done to them for what they've done. Very good. When we return, we are going to take a peek in our crystal balls for 2021. And now, a word from our sponsor. For over 20 years, eTix has provided ticketing and marketing for fares across North America with cashless solutions for rides and games, self-service kiosks, cash drawer management, and much more. Visit hello.etix.com for more information. Okay, we're back. Uh, we have representatives from Australia, Canada, and the UK here with us today. We're going to go in reverse order this time. Chris Riddle, you're in the hot seat. What is the the pulse of, of the situation in the UK for 2021 shows? And again, uh, to our listeners, we are recording this on uh, mid-March 2020. I don't think any of us have a crystal ball, but uh, best hopes, best thoughts. Chris, what is the situation? Well, it's not that rosy. Um, we actually, as it happened, we had, I'm on the national board of the ASAO and we had a meeting this morning. So it's very much up to date as of, as you say, mid-March. Um, the bulk of shows, it's got to be said, are either cancelled for 2021 or are probably looking likely. 
um, big and small, that is. Um, some of us, ourselves at the Royal Cornwall, we would normally be in early June. We've postponed, as we did last year, but then cancelled um, to early September um, in the hope that we can go. And we're still working towards that at the moment. Um, and a few others have done that as well. They've moved dates or they're later in the season, perhaps late July, August, and they hope to be OK. UK lockdown is supposed to finish on the 21st of June, but it's still unclear as to what the uh, restrictions and limitations on large events will be. Um, but it's not not that rosy. People are, are have, they've had their confidence not. Um, the risk, as we all know in our industry, of, of working towards an event and then cancelling perhaps a matter of weeks before is incredibly expensive. Whereas to do it early, you know, you can limit that uh, that that problem a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, thanks for that. Uh, Christina, what's what's the outlook in, in Canada right now? I wish my crystal model wasn't as foggy as it is. <laughs> but um, I mean, what we're seeing in Canada is everyone's very hopeful still, uh, and they're planning multiple scenarios. That's what we're looking at. We don't think we'll see a lot of full capacity, full scale events, but uh, people are planning with reduced capacity at 50% or 70% and crunching the numbers and getting their plans into their local health authorities for approval. Um, that being said, there's been uh, Nova Scotia put out an announcement about two weeks ago saying that there will be no fairs and exhibitions this summer. They're being proactive, nipping it in the bud, uh, and hopefully they will see adapted events is what they're looking for. And we've seen a few other cancellations here and there. Um, it really is going to depend on uh, the vaccine rollout. We've seen... Uh, different projections for when that's going to be complete. And then I also think it depends on effective uh, rebuilding of consumer confidence. People are going to be uh, reticent to go out and travel and go to these uh, fairs and exhibitions. So showing that we're doing the right things and we're taking the right precautions is going to be a, a huge responsibility and a huge part of our success. I think ultimately people are craving experiences and they want to get out and they want to see people and they want to interact. And so we're going to see this huge um, uptake when we finally can gather again. But uh, as we all know, we're the first hit, we're the hardest hit and we'll be the last to recover. And that's a recurring message that we're hearing in our industry. I'm Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I, if I'm not mis mistaken, certainly something we have in common uh, I, here in the United States, dealing with 50 different states, each one operating almost independently. I'm assuming it's almost the same that all of the provinces across Canada, uh, they're not necessarily acting in concert. So you have that issue that complicates fairs and shows in the United States, which is routing with our carnival partners and their ability to travel because you have a number of mobile amusement operators that, that travel and operate in multiple provinces provinces. So I'm assuming that's an issue as well. Yep, that's exactly it. I mean, we're seeing different regulations at the provincial level. And then um, even a lot of us, again, in our North American world, a lot of Canadian fairs and exhibitions rely on uh, different exhibitors, concessioners, entertainers coming up from the States. And uh, we've had border restrictions that have been really heavy and intense for us. So all those factors play in. Of We've been able to cross borders interprovincially, internationally so easily before. And that's been a great part of our success. And that's going to be a challenge this summer. Absolutely. And Rob, what, what, what's it look like? I think the unique thing is that it is high summer and some shows, it's show season in Australia. So what's it looking like there? A bit bittersweet, particularly early in the year. There was still some January and February shows, particularly smaller ones, where there were still some restrictions on numbers that have cancelled. 
uh, and interest, and you may have uh, in, uh, exposed to this uh, anywhere, um, particularly the volunteers after a year off uh, are hard to get back um, and get going again at some of the smaller shows and uh, there's either been a cancellation because of the numbers or they just haven't been able to get the, uh, the volunteers together. But from now on, it's looking really good. Um, our border our closures are, are not so strict. The numbers that are allowed now out in, uh, in events, even though it's controlled by the state, are improving. And there's been a, a, a quite a few shows right around the country now. These are the small, smaller country shows that have been very successful. Um, Christina, the, the, the public are coming. They're having record numbers uh, to their shows in, in the country. So that's working extremely well. The Sydney Royal, um, the first of the big royal, that kicks off at Easter. And, uh, and of course, they are going ahead. Um, touch wood that nothing happens. There's no outbreaks. And uh, they're negotiating their numbers. I think they're allowed at the moment 40,000 a day, but I think that will go up uh, because football season starts as well. And uh, now the, uh, the, um, they're allowed reasonable numbers to come in and watch football. So it is looking really, really good. Um, as, you, as you probably know, Australia's made the federal and state governments have been able to manage our code reasonably well. And, uh, and as long as we don't have any uh, uh, community outbreaks, um, it's looking good for the, for the shows. And uh, those that have been supported through the support program, you know, hopefully they're in a financial position about to kick it off if they can get their volunteers going again. But it's, at the moment, looking really good. And, and so this first kind of summer season, that runs, how, how long, most of the country shows, will that run until what, May or so? And then there's a hiatus oh, no. until the fall or till the... No, yes, it, it, it runs all the way through. There's a lot of shows in this early part of the year going right through the, through uh, late summer and into, um, into our autumn. Uh, then there's a bit of a, a layoff during the winter period and then it comes up again, particularly, say, in Western Australia, where we have a lot of our shows in the latter half of this year, October, November, things like that. So it's spread out around the country, um, which makes it a little bit easier for the, uh, for those, the, the showmen that need to travel interstate. They can usually gauge their, uh, their um, route of, of shows um, fairly well, so, as long as they can get across the borders. But at the moment, it's looking okay. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, we will continue to keep our eye on Australia and give us that glimmer of hope. And, and I know uh, all eyes are going to be watching the Royal Sydney Easter show here next month. Uh, really, it's the single largest event, I think, maybe of any type that takes place in typically in the, in the country. And so uh, not only are, are all of your shows going to be watching, but all of the rest of us around the world and we'll be cheering everyone on. Well, our time has come to an end. I want to thank all of you and just for our listeners to understand understand this complex world. Uh, Rob got on this conversational call at 5 a.m. Christina extended her workday into the early evening. Uh, she was getting on at 5 p.m. And Chris Riddle was staying up and uh, we're keeping him from a nightcap because it's nearly 10 p.m. there. So thank you all very, very much. I'm looking forward to us continuing these conversations um, offline, uh, so to speak, and uh, wish you all the very very best thank you so much for being our guest today we appreciate you all my pleasure thank you marla thank you thank you for joining us for marla by the numbers sponsored by etix join marla next time for episode number 11 where marla will be joined by jeff hines as they discuss three ideas for restoring consumer confidence in live events 
To find out more about the IFE and our members, please visit us online at fairsandexpos.com or visit our Facebook page, IAFE The Network.